Welcome to Conversations with Mayi Lenz. That's me. I'm your host, a photographer obsessed with helping women lead unapologetically. On this show, you will hear not only from me, but from other amazing women who inspire me and are making a difference in the community. What does that mean, leading unapologetically? To me, it's leading from a place of authenticity without apologies. In other words, not seeking approval for being yourself, what you care for, and value. My goal with this podcast is to inspire and help women develop powerful confidence in themselves and recognize the value we bring to the community and the world as a whole. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, entrepreneur, pursuing a career, or growing your business, we are here to build each other up. Let's learn and grow together. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Mayi Lenz, the show that empowers women to lead unapologetic. I'm your host, Mayi Lenz, and today we're going to be talking about emotional wellness via confidence and self-worth, two topics that I really love, with my special guest. She's a motivational speaker. Certified school counselor, emotional wellness coach, business owner, and podcaster in the field of personal development and mental well-being. Oh my goodness. Hello, Bree. Welcome to the show. It is great to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here as well, Mai. I'm excited to get into the conversation. Yes. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your about your story? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a long story that I can shorten and please feel free to ask any questions uh, to fill in any gaps. But <laughs> in March, March 17th of 2020, actually, which was uh, my first day of remote work in during the pandemic. So, you know, March, 2020 was a major time for everyone. And a lot of change was happening for me. It was as the world was shutting down. So too was my body. And I was 28 at the time, really. I would have considered myself to be in peak condition, physically, mentally, emotionally, I was really working on those things. And so when this had happened, it was uh, quite a shock and and flipped my world upside down. But uh, I realized that something was really taking place and it started in my feet. It was a strange sort of numbing, tingling sensation that felt like pins and needles that didn't go away after a couple of minutes. It actually started to grow over the next several hours up through my legs, uh, through my thighs, through my hips and into my waist. And a few more hours passed and the sensation was growing in intensity. And then it also started to consume my face, my head, neck, mouth, skull. And I had lost really all sensation there. And when it started to consume my head and my face, that was when I realized I need something was terribly wrong. So I got to the emergency room. And at this point, everything had really intensified. And I had to really walk myself on the triage desk with my hands holding myself up. And I said to the triage nurse, I think my legs are about to collapse beneath me. And no sooner 
then I said it, did it happen? So that was really the beginning of this very long and unexpected journey for me. Uh, and I can pause there. I can continue whatever, if you have any questions. So at, at this point, it's it's just incredible. I cannot even picture myself other than, you know, when you go into labor yeah. and you get an epidural. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is the only way that I can think about what you were going through. What was going on through your head at, at this point right now? And how this your background in psychology or as a counselor helped you through get through this, um, through this ordeal. (laughs) Those are both great questions. And there were, it's kind of in two parts. So I didn't, they, doctors weren't able to tell me for several days what was happening. They had basically run every test possible that they would run in this type of scenario and everything was coming back negative. Nothing was landing. There were no diagnoses that they were able to match with what was taking place in my body. And so they were left in sort of trying to figure it out as well. So there wasn't much reassurance there. Mm -hmm. And those conversations were really uh, turning the corner and looking like this could be something forever. It could be permanent. We don't know if it's going to increase throughout my body and, and sort of take my arms as well. Cause at that point it was just my legs and waist down and neck up. Uh, they didn't know if there was going to need to be surgery, if they would have to possibly amputate, they really couldn't Mm. tell me anything. And in those moments, especially when something just takes place out of nowhere so unexpectedly there's definitely this level of panic this level of just shock and worry and concern and disbelief and hopelessness this unsure feeling just all wrapped up in a really scary place on top of the fact that it was the very beginning of the pandemic. New York city is, is where I live and work. And that was, I was in a New York city hospital and two days, excuse me, two hours after I got into the hospital, they locked down hospitals throughout the city completely. Oh, wow. So it was just every, there was panic and everyone was scared. I mean, it just the, the atmosphere and never mind what was happening inside of me. But as far as the psychology piece and me having really just finished my degree to become a therapist and understand, you know, how might I counsel someone else through this scenario? And that was a little bit tricky for me to play with because I knew that I had the skills and the tools, but there is really no recommendation for a therapist or a counselor to therapize themselves because (laughs) it's really hard to create that dynamic within yourself. But there were a few things that I did. And, and one was really harnessing the power of mindset and understanding that I have a way to empower myself through this situation, even though the situation is not empowering me. And the way that that happens is really 
sort of flipping the switch on the questions that I was asking. One of the biggest questions I asked in those first couple of days when I just didn't know what was going on was why? Why me? How could this happen mm-hmm. to me? I was asking anyone who who would listen and no one could answer me here and now. I wasn't receiving and it regardless of my spiritual or religious affiliation, I wasn't going to receive that direct answer even if I was asking out to the world why me? It wasn't going to come to me right then in this moment. So asking why I was sort of releasing my power to everyone and thing outside of me and not getting that power back. So what I decided to do instead was I made that mindset shift. And I said, because me, not because the situation happened because of me, it was an unavoidable situation because me in the sense that this is now a part of my circumstance. This situation has become part of me and I have to learn how to empower myself with this unavoidable circumstance rather than disempower myself and ask everyone else to give me the solutions or the answers to the problem. What I realized was that it wasn't an answer that I was looking for to help me keep going. It was an understanding that I could keep going that I was looking for. And I found that in myself. And so really using those sort of therapeutic techniques in those moments was in the power of shifting my mind from powerless to powerful. Yes. Yes. And, and you said something very important there is shifting your mindset, but Mm -hmm. for somebody that might be thinking, you know, oh, that it's easier for her to say, because she's a therapist. And, you know, it's not the same when we actually go through those life unpredictable moments that we're faced with, okay, what do I do? Do I learn from this or do I die here? Mm -hmm. How can we use, and and you gave us one tool there. It could be like, it could be something physical in our bodies, like, like what you went through or a loss of a loved one or Mm -hmm. a business, because these are life moments that that are crisis to somebody might not look like a big deal to lose a business for somebody that is not in in a business it's not a business owner or is not an entrepreneur than you know somebody that is just an employee so how can we use our emotions as tools for success rather than just accepting you know defeat but before you give us those tools first let's start with uh, some basic baby steps explanations of Mm -hmm the difference between emotions and feelings, because sometimes we may not even know what we are feeling and which emotions are we experiencing, especially during crisis like this. Yes. So, uh, so many pieces that, that I could sort of speak on and go down here, but uh, I love sort of the idea of parsing out emotions and feelings. So, we can use these two interchangeably and that's pretty common and understandable, but the way that I have really been able to sort of uh, understand and explain the difference is that emotions are really the natural 
instinctual core sets of things that we can feel. Uh, so you see that feeling, they're still intrin intrinsically connected because you feel them, but emotions are at our core. Emotions are something of um, a part of us. So when an emotion arises, it is an experience that is naturally occurring based on what else is naturally occurring within us. So if we are in, it's when you think of that fight or flight response, that would be that fear emotion, that instinctual feeling of, or of fear that is a natural uh, tool, emotion that arises that helps us. And that's the way you can think about emotions as tools because they are instinctual responses to what's going on within us or around us. Those natural, uh, unavoidable sort of um, moments of emotive states, that's an emotion. So it comes naturally. We don't necessarily have time to, uh, it, it's not something that we control necessarily in that moment. They arise naturally. Feelings, on the other hand, often pair with our mood. And feelings are more so reactions to situations and not responses to situations. So feelings, if, if we're really sort of pulling out the difference between the two feelings, we can think of as having control or a level of control over. And a lot of people might be saying, well, I, that just doesn't make sense to me. That is just not, that doesn't feel true. <laughs> and the way that I, can describe it better is in between stimulus and response, there is a moment for us. So stimulant means something happens. Response means how we then move through the world after that moment happens. If we don't find that space between stimulant and response, we are going to react rather than respond. When you nice. react rather than respond, that is going to be sort of that, that feeling, that, that piece of us that can take over and not and respond for us, but not in the best way. Right. But when you have that stimulus, it's still going to bubble up that emotion, that natural moment for us. So I lose my business. I have this natural moment of sadness and mm -hmm. anger. Those are two core emotions. I feel them both deeply, but I don't have to respond with sadness and anger. If I reacted, I'm going to take those core emotions and just spew them out into the world. Sadness and anger. I lost my business. 
sadness and anger is what's naturally occurring for me inside. And that's what I'm bringing to the outside. But if we are able, and this is a training process, this doesn't happen for us. Again, emotions are natural. Feelings are a little bit different. So it takes a while for us to be able to actually sort of step outside of ourselves and understand that we have that space between stimulus and response to make the choice of how we're going to respond rather than instinctually react. Are there any questions so far? Because this can get really sticky. Yes, it, <laughs> it, could, it could be like really, really intense. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like we're going into therapy here because yeah. <laughs> this is a huge, huge um, topic. Mm-hmm. But since you're, we're talking about feelings and, and our emotions and a lot of my clients, you know, we talk about confidence, about being, you know, confident about their personal brand and being confident in front of the camera. And I often tell them confidence is a feeling. So let's talk a little bit about confidence. And I would love uh, to know your perspective on this subject. (laughs) What is confidence at its core? And how can we build this skill? Because I believe it's a skill that it's it's a learnable skill. Some people might say, you're crazy. Confident is not a skill. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. Confidence is for sure a skill. And I'll tell you why. At its core, confidence literally translates to a trust in oneself. So the greater you have trust in yourself, essentially the greater your confidence is built. So how do you gain trust in yourself? That is the skill that we're actually working on. We're working on learning how to trust ourselves, which builds confidence and what that means is let's say let's let's spin it to uh, physical activity let's say you're setting some physical activity goals a way to lose confidence in yourself is if you continue to set a goal and then continue to not meet that goal because you're not doing what you have to do to meet it. So if the goal is to get out in the morning and run two miles, and then you wake up in the morning, you're like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. So you, you don't do it. And then the next day, the goal is to get out and run two miles. The goal hasn't changed. The next day you wake up, you look outside, you kind of think, you know, ah, I don't want to do it. Well, at the end, you know, let's say two weeks goes by If you have set that goal and not met that goal after two weeks, based on your personal choices to not meet that goal after two weeks, you have built no trust in yourself to be able to complete it. So how do we refine this so that we can build trust in ourselves? We make our goals incrementally small so that we know we can reach them and we know we can incrementally build that confidence in ourselves. So if two miles every morning, you're realizing, even though to some people you're thinking because we can't help, but think about what other people are doing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> two miles should be so easy. And it's so, you know, there's people running marathons and I should be able to do two miles. But the reality is you're not doing two miles. So how do we get you there? And that's one of the, the biggest problems is how we will compare to others. And that will really, really take away our confidence because we're not even in oneself anymore. We are outside of oneself. So we're not even looking inside of ourselves. There's no trust being built there, but let's say it's actually just a half a mile that you're capable of right now, or even less than that. Let's say it's just a walk around your block, a walk, just, just the act of getting your body moving in the morning, because that might be all that you're capable of right now. That's okay. Because if you can get yourself up each morning and walk around that block at the end of two weeks, you're going to have a different feeling because you have built trust in yourself that you can get there. That trust in yourself is building the confidence that you need to increase your goals Mm -hmm. in small ways and continue on that trust building journey. Wow. That it's, yeah, that it's awesome. Like I read something on your website and, and I was like, what is this? What is an emotional fitness plan? Because you were talking about emotions and having a plan, but what is an emotional fitness fitness plan? And how do you work with this with your clients or yeah so uh emotional fitness it's funny because we see physical fitness and i use physical fitness often as the mirror of emotional fitness and the same like mental health is very similar to physical health but we just don't have those physical uh aspects to be able to see the progress. So we need to be able to find other ways to do that. So emotional fitness and an emotional fitness plan has a few different components. One part is really understanding what our emotions are and how to use them as tools for our lives. So when emotions arrive, those core emotions that I was speaking on, uh, they're often triggers that are telling us something important for what's happening in our lives, in our bodies, in our minds, in our health. So learning how to use emotions as tools is, is part of the emotional fitness plan. That confidence piece is a huge part of emotional fitness. So learning how to trust yourself, it's like going to the gym every day, which is why I use the walking to running example, learning how to build confidence in yourself essentially helps. It's one part of the puzzle that brings that self-worth piece. And that's really what the whole emotional fitness plan is working towards is garnering that self-worth and understanding how to be emotionally fit for life. Mm -hmm. Meaning when the unexpected happens, we are emotionally fit to handle what is about to happen within us. It doesn't mean it's going to stop my tears from flowing. It means I'm going to be able to recognize when my tears need to flow, 
when I need to feel it and when I need to heal it. It's going to help me really understand that life is going to keep happening. There's these waves of life that I like to talk about, and it's a natural flow of life that we go through. But in these waves of life, this natural up and down, we have to be just as prepared for the downs, for the dips, as we are for the peaks. The way that you do that is you prepare yourself beforehand for how to implement such emotional strategies when something really scary or really unexpected or really difficult happens. And I, I like to make sure I make the distinction. This isn't about not feeling emotion or pushing emotion away or trying to interpret emotion in anything different than exactly what it is. But it's learning that when we have an understanding of our emotions and our emotional responses and what we need during those, we can get through situations with a lot more ease. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to feel better. It doesn't mean that it's going to hurt any less, but we're able to move through them because we have a plan. And it's the same as anything else in life. It's a lot easier to be able to get through a situation, especially a crisis situation, if you have a crisis intervention plan, you know, and that's with emotions. This is like an emotional intervention plan. What do you need? How do you strengthen your orientation to your emotional self to be able to take on any situation life has to throw at you and know that regardless of the situation, you will have the emotional strength and ability to get through that. Yeah. And, and this is uh, where shifting our mindsets come into place, Mm -hmm. having, you know, this fitness plan, like you said, Um, it's very important. And I know it firsthand because when my sister passed away, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to process emotions, my emotions. I was like really pissed off. I was confused. I was, I had all these feelings, but because I've been in, you know, working on my mind mindset and my personal development. I've loved reading books on the subjects and so on. You know, that's the only thing that I believe it helped me not to go into darkness and depression like my mom did. She she completely lost her mind, like literally for a whole year. For somebody listening and they're like, how do I even start having, you know, um, something mm. like this plan? Um, where do I even start? I- I'm confused. I-, I don't know what she's talking about. If Because if you're in a place of depression right now, like they're not even going to listen to our podcast, you know, because there are in another state of mind. But, but somebody like feeling... Um, a little depressed or a little sad and doesn't know how to process these feelings um, or how to talk to somebody, what would be one step that you will say, hey, you should do this first? Yeah. So the most baseline step that is actually 
incredibly powerful and can be used in a lot of different ways is journaling. Mm -hmm. And I recommend journaling first and foremost, because it does a few things. One, when we are in a really heightened emotional state, whether that be feelings of depression or uh, anxiety or extreme stress or extreme hopelessness or sadness, it's almost like a tornado or a windstorm inside our minds, which another skill, which is a little bit more advanced, I not even advanced because there are beginner steps, but it takes a little bit more coaxing for some people would be meditation. But if meditation is not for you, I recommend journaling first because that windstorm of thoughts and emotions and feelings happening in your head is exactly that. You can't, when a windstorm or a tornado picks up, you can't really tell what the tornado is picking up. You just see (laughs) the wind. There could be, I'm just thinking, you know, there could be the cow flying by (laughs) And the book <laughs> flying by and the tree and and all these things that you see in, in a tornado, you know, an animated yeah, like the movie Twister. Like the movie. Was it Twister? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't get a handle of all of those things because they are caught up and flying around. And that's why journaling is a first response, one to begin to organize everything that's happening up there. And ways to do that. You could do bullet points or lists and just start listing out first things that come to mind. You could do stream of consciousness journaling, which means that you do not worry about any type of punctuation or grammar or (laughs) sentence structure. And you just go, I'm feeling this. And then I thought about this and I want to do this. And you kind of just let that flow through onto the page. Uh, You could do structured journaling. So you could find some journaling prompts online specifically Mm -hmm. that might say, you know, if, if you are feeling depressed, then try these, try writing about these prompts and then reflecting on them. So there's a few different ways you can do it, but my first point of action, if you're doing this on your own and you are feeling so overwhelmed by what's taking place in your mind, get those thoughts onto paper. Because once they're on paper, you get to, in some way, one, take a breath because they're, they're still there. They're just a little bit more organized, or at least they now have a place to live rather than swarming around inside of your head. Two, uh, you get to essentially become like your own coach or your own healer in this way because there is a a real interesting sort of scientific thing that that happens when we put our pen to paper and then we take our thoughts and sort of dump them on the page. And there's connections that are made that aren't necessarily made when it's just swarming in our heads. So writing it down, you're actually making a scientific connection that's giving you a little bit more understanding and insight into those words. But you're also becoming your own healer because there's this reflective process that you can now look at it and read it back and begin to help yourself understand how to organize it, how to make sense of it, What patterns are you seeing? What 
what feelings feel better just because you got them out of your head and onto the paper that will happen. So there's a lot of different things and courses that can take place when you journal. There's also, that's a reactive journaling measure. There's also proactive journaling and gratitude journaling daily actually scientifically increases your, your, um, gratitude or joyfulness or happiness in the world by 24%. That's, you could really be a quarter happier in your life just by writing down or speaking out loud the things that you are grateful for every morning. So there's real scientific power behind this as well. And, you know, if anyone's listening and, and they want to know more, you can you can definitely Google the power of journaling or different ways to journal, but it's for sure the first step in defense, especially if you're going through something emotionally trying on your own. Yeah, I love that, especially when you you mentioned about the proactive and reactive journaling, Mm -hmm. that it's very therapeutical (laughs) because I... I, I do it. I also try something else, but um, that is amazing. And it is so true what you said to start with the journaling first before you start meditation, because mm-hmm. it can get frustrating if people has never done meditation. We're going to switch it up a little. Uh, being unapologetically you to me means being true to who you are and what you believe in. In other words, not seeking approval to show up authentically in order to blend in. What is something that you stopped apologizing for that helped you level up in your business? Because mm. at this point, I, I, I don't think you might have something that you're going to stop apologizing for, even though, you know, when we come to another level in our business, there's always that little, oh my God, can I do this? Because you're reaching another level. But uh, maybe let's start with what's something that you stopped apologizing for. I love that question. So this might this might seem basic, but I but I think that so much power in what you're saying and I hadn't really ever thought about it, but for me, I have definitely I stopped apologizing for not being able to accommodate the time of others. Mm. Because I have realized one I at this point work and run on a very tight schedule. But two, my time is just as important and valuable as the others. And I treat them with the same value rather than holding theirs at a higher value to mine. So I I give the same respect for someone else's schedule as I do my own and someone else's time as I do my own. But I've stopped apologizing for not being able to accommodate their time when I am working on accommodating my own. Oh, my God. Boom. You can drop the mic now. (laughs) That is a hard thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Bree. Thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. Um, links to where people can connect with you will be provided on the show notes of this episode. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. 
I sincerely appreciate your time, the questions, the conversation, the space. It has been such a pleasure, Mai, and I look forward to keeping connected and helping empower listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and family and consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell us what you think on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at MayiLens and on Facebook page, Conversations with MayiLens. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Until next time, talk to you soon.